read together from the Bible now. We've been working our way through John's Gospel in our morning uh, services, and we have reached chapter 18. John's Gospel is the story of God's new creation in Jesus Christ. John writes his Gospel. He tells us why he writes his Gospel, so that you may believe in Jesus, or if you already believe in Jesus, that you may continue to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the saviour of the world. From chapter 13 onwards, nearly 40% of John's gospel deals with the last week of Jesus' life as he prepares his disciples for his death. And last week we were privileged to read chapter 17 of Jesus in prayer. And uh, if you haven't uh, read it, just encourage you to go back um, sometime this week and just see Jesus in prayer as he prays for you and I, which is a real amazing thing. And I want to read quite a long part of uh, uh, the gospel here, chapter 18, the whole of it, and up to verse 16 in chapter 19. Because as we move toward the crucifixion, um, the narrative that John tells, it's... It's not so much theological as this is what happened. And um, I would encourage you to just appreciate that we are actually standing on holy ground as we read this. Jesus is about to give his life for you. This is the truth of the gospel as we read these words. So John chapter 18. If you want to follow it, it should be on the screen. When Jesus had finished praying... Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. 
Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are one of his disciples, are you? You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said anything wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, Are you not one of his disciples? Are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis of charge for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the week of preparation of Passover, the day of preparation for the Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we are here because of you. And we are here because of what we have just read. And we ask by your spirit that you would give us just a glimpse of your amazing glory and grace and love for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If I had to give a title to this talk, it would be the story of two gardens. He came looking for someone, and he came on the evening breeze, and he came as he had always done, in the cool of the evening. He came because they knew each other and used to enjoy their time together. He came to the garden because that is where they had always met. But there was no answer. Something had happened, gone wrong. The friendship had soured. Feeble excuses followed, and love, the most fragile and beautiful plant in all the garden, had been trampled on. 
in slightly poetic language, that is the story of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The garden is the garden of Eden. And if you read it, God walks in the garden and calls out to Adam and Eve, where are you? And they hide. We have read in John 18 the story of another garden. It's called Gethsemane. John doesn't mention its name. He assumes we know its name because he assumes those who are believers will have read the other Gospels or heard about them that Jesus met in that olive grove called Gethsemane. It's just after Jesus had finished praying, he went out with his disciples minus Judas. They'd obviously been to this garden many times, and so they gathered there again. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane to restore what had gone wrong in the Garden of Eden. In the next few hours, Jesus will give himself so that what happened in the Garden of Eden will be undone. And he will offer his life for the world. John's gospel is about a new creation in Jesus Christ. It is about a new genesis. John is so aware. He writes his gospel last. He reflects the most. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. It's a direct echo of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. One garden, another garden. And the roles are reversed. In the first garden, a holy God comes looking for a sinful man, and the man hides. In the second garden, sinful men come looking for Jesus, a holy God, and he doesn't hide. He says, who are you looking for? He knows what is to come. It says that in verse 4. Jesus is the new Adam. The time has come. The hour is near. And within hours he will give his life for the sin of the world. Jesus dies for sin. He dies because he loves you. He dies because he wants you to have a relationship restored with God. But he dies for your sin. He dies for my sin. Because that's what separates me from a holy God. And he takes our sin upon himself. That we might have eternal life. So Jesus gives himself into the hands of sinful men. John tells us that Judas, one of the twelve, who had been with him for three years, was there leading the detachment soldiers and officials. And they come at night. They haven't dared arrest Jesus in the day. They come at night, which is actually illegal in Jewish law and Roman law. It is illegal to try someone at night, to arrest someone at night. But they come with torches, lanterns, and weapons. And the world is about to pass judgment on Jesus. The world is about to pass judgment on Jesus. 
John records for us the arrest and trial of Jesus. And as I read this passage over and over again this week, there are things that I'd never noticed before. Was there things, as I read it out, that you'd never noticed before? Did you notice that one of the disciples had an inside sort of track to the high priest's house? I'd never noticed that before. When they come to arrest Jesus, Jesus says, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, isn't this brilliant? He says, I am he. I am. One, another of the I ams. I am he. Echoes of the burning bush, Moses. And as he says, I am he, they fall down. They cannot stand in the presence of the Holy One of God. They cannot lay a finger on him unless he lets them. Who is it that you want? You can see them all getting up again. Jesus of Nazareth, I'm he. And he gives himself over. And notice he looks out for his friends. He's always looked out for his disciples. And he says, will you let them go? Just take me, let them go. Jesus, the I am, who came from the Father full of grace and truth, the bread of life, the light of the world, the vine, the resurrection and the life, the truth, the way, the life. Simon Peter famously draws his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus. Why do we have his name? I'm not quite sure we have his name, but he must have figured in the life of the early church to have his name. He must have become someone who was talked about. Luke tells us that Jesus healed him. John doesn't bother with that detail. And Jesus just says, as he gives himself over into the night, into the blackness, into evil hands, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Because John doesn't record those prayers in the garden, does he, of the blood sweat. The disciples scatter, except for Simon Peter and another disciple. We're assuming that disciple is John. And they follow Jesus to the high priest's house, and they're led in, because presumably John is known to the high priest. We don't know how that happened. And then Peter is challenged. His faith is challenged. His courage is challenged. And he caves in. The girl at the door, are you one of his disciples? No, I'm not. Someone challenged you. Are you one of his disciples? Are you one of these Jesus followers? What would you say? Now, I sympathize with Peter because he's out of his depth big time. He's been out of his depth before on the water, but he's out of his depth big time. Again, he's asked. He's asked three times. He's even asked, John says, by a servant of the high priest whose relative was Malchus, who had his ear chopped off by Peter. 
That's a little detail that the other gospel writers don't include. One of Malchus's relatives asked him, yeah, you were there in the olive grove. No, I wasn't near the place. And then the cock crows, the rooster crows, as Jesus had prophesied to Peter, but he said, I pray for you, Peter. The verdict is passed by the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. He's questioned, he's beaten. And the high priest, in arresting and trying Jesus, breaks his own laws. They try Jesus at night against the law. They beat him before he's even found guilty. They break the law. They sin by their own standards in arresting Jesus and trying him. Anything to get rid of Jesus. It exposes the failure of the high priest. Because this high priest is standing before the high priest, Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. The true high priest, Jesus, is found guilty by the false one. And the religious leaders condemn God. The religious people condemn God. Second verdict is passed by the Jews. That's how John describes them, the people. Represented by the elite among the religious establishment, but also the crowd. They had been God's chosen people, chosen to be a missionary nation to the world, a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world. And they despised their calling and birthright. And how fickle that they have been because we welcome Jesus into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday with shouts, hosannas, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they shout, crucify. And worst of all, there are those among the Jewish elite shouting, we have no king but Caesar. That would have been blasphemy for a Jew. You can just see the enemy just whipping up the crowd. Whipping out, we have no king but Caesar. For all their religious observance, they still won't enter Pilate's palace because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean. They've broken laws already. But they don't want to be ceremonially unclean. That's why religion is so bankrupt. Who needs it? We need Jesus. And this exposes it for the world. They are in out and out rebellion against God. Here is the true Adam, the son of man, the son of God, being sent to death by the ones that he'd made, the ones he'd come to save. 
Third verdict is passed by an earthly government of the day. The superpower of the day, Rome, represented by the governor Pontius Pilate. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Do you, did you see in the reading, almost three times he just said, yeah, he's innocent. And he tried to find a way to free him. He knows that Jesus has been set up. This is a frame-up. Trumped up charges. And Pilate actually despised the Jews. But his attempts to set Jesus free are quite feeble. I find no basis of charge against him. So he offers the people a choice. Who shall I free at this Passover time? We always free a prisoner. Who are we going to free? Shall I free the king of the Jews? And they shout, no, we want Barabbas. Who's Barabbas? He's a terrorist. Or a freedom fighter, depending on which side of the fence you're on. He has murdered people. And there in that moment, you have a picture of the gospel. Jesus takes Barabbas' place. Jesus took my place. Barabbas is free. Give us Barabbas, the crowd shouts. Then Pilate, thinking that he might pacify the crowds, has Jesus flogged. Not not just a few beatings, flogged. Whipped with leather whips, with bones and metal in them, so it would just lacerate anyone's back. He had him flogged. Maybe maybe thinking that will appease the crowd. And the soldiers get into the fun of it all. They form a crown of thorns, press it on Jesus' head. They dress him up in a purple robe and they start bowing down. Oh, hail, King of the Jews. This is a bit of a laugh, isn't it? This so-called King of the Jews. They get whipped up in it all. And there is Jesus, brought out by Pilate. He says, behold the man. It's ecce homo, isn't it, in Latin. And he is standing there, presumably with the crown of thorns, the robe, bleeding all over the place. And it doesn't appease the crowd one bit. Pilate eventually just caves in. Exposes the cowardice and corruption of earthly governments. However good earthly governments are, they are made up of men and women. Pilate's trying to protect his status, his standing, his career, because they, they land on something that he, he just cannot ignore. If he's a king, he's no friend of Caesar. That's what the Jews are saying to Pilate. Pilate caves in. And he condemns Jesus. The one in whom there is all authority in heaven and on earth, on whom it says in the Old Testament, the government will be upon his shoulders. 
Jesus is condemned by every section along the way. And then we have his disciples. After three years of walking with Jesus, following Jesus, being amazed by Jesus, one soul sells Jesus for a bag of silver, betrays him with a kiss, nine abandon him in fear in the garden, and two follow Simon Peter and the other disciples. And even the disciples demonstrate that even the best of men are only men at best. He is left, abandoned, on his own. Jesus stands alone and gives his life for you and for me. There is one more abandonment to come, and it is the worst one of all for Jesus on the cross. So the verdict is in. The high priests declare him guilty and condemn him. And it just proves the need for a new great high priest. The people condemn him. Just proves that we need Jesus to save us. The government of the day condemn him. Proves the hope of this world does not lie in earthly human governments, but in the kingdom of God. The king who wears a crown of thorns. The king who is our king. And the disciples, in their own strength, in their different ways, fail Jesus. And they will remember him saying, unless you remain in me, you can do nothing. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus. And so Jesus, abandoned by all of us, gives himself and he says, this is my body which is for you. This is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've followed Jesus 28 years, I think. I cannot get over the fact that he gave his life for me. Who am I? That God himself would give his life for me. And you. Every one of you here. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus, he died for you, he loves you. And he just longs that you come back home. And so today we're going to share the bread and the cup in remembrance of him. This is my body, which is for you. And it's for everyone who believes in Jesus. And we remember how Jesus, on the night that he betrayed, was betrayed, took bread. And he broke it. This is a sign that we belong to Jesus when we take bread 
and we identify with the one who gave himself for us. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves this morning. We cannot take in just how amazing the truth of the gospel is. That you gave yourself willingly into sinful hands and they brutalized you. Tortured you. Mocked you. Spat on you. Beat you again and again. What can we say? What can we say, Lord Jesus? He did it for us. To restore what had gone wrong in the Garden of Eden, you in the Garden of Gethsemane were obedient. And we thank you that that invitation is still available. And even today, you invite all who would believe in you to share in this simple meal of remembrance. And whether that's you and you've followed Jesus for many, many, many years or whether you've just begun to follow Jesus or even if today you have said, yes, I will follow Jesus. I will live my life for him. Then please do share in this meal. If that's not you for whatever reason, just allow the basket to pass by.